This podcast is brought to you by Close Brothers Asset Management. We've created this podcast to set out possible approaches. Please do not view it as financial advice or its content as investment recommendations. Just because an investment or an investment strategy has performed well in the past does not mean that it will continue to do so. Our predictions are based on information that is currently available. However, events and markets can and do change rapidly. Hello, and welcome to our podcast with me, Tony Winkup. And I'm delighted to be joined by Isabel Alberan and Robert Alster in London. How are you doing? Good morning. Hello. Fine, thank you. Good, good. It's a bit of a cold one today, isn't it? So you're well wrapped up there, Isabel. So uh, not expecting any <laughs> frost here inside. but uh, It's one of the benefits of coming into the office. It is. Minus three this morning when I left home. But I'm pleased to be with both of you with a warm coffee. So, um, yeah, great to see you. It's been a year since I last recorded a podcast with you. January 2023. Now that may or may not turn out to be auspicious for you because I went back and listened to what you said a year right. ago. So I thought the best place for us to start would be to hold ourselves to account. Right. You made right. five kind of observation stroke, let's call them forecasts last mm-hmm. year. So an element of marking our own homework, but we'll run through them each in turn. We'll see how we fared and we'll try and weave those themes into the narrative for 2024. How's that sound? Yep. Right. No, that sounds good. <laughs> okay. De- depending on what we um, depending on what you <laughs> said. <laughs> depending yes. on what let me tell you what you said. So number one, Isabel, and I think I'll give this uh, this one to you first, if I may. Um global growth will be lower in twenty twenty three than in twenty twenty two. What happened? I think this prediction, thankfully, or not so thankfully, we were right about. So I think current forecasts are for two point six percent um this year on average. Uh, So lower than we saw in 2022, but better than we perhaps expected at the beginning of the year. Um, And that, I think, is in part due to the fact that the US economy has been a lot more resilient. So I think um, that that one can be a tick. Um, In terms of the year ahead, I think we're actually expecting growth to be a little bit better in the coming year, partly because... Uh, we're not going to have the sort of hangover effects of high inflation that everyone suffered from so much in the last year. And also, um, obviously, as we're all aware, uh, we're expecting monetary policy to move in a more um, accommodative direction. There's quite a close link, isn't there, as well, between global growth and uh, earnings per shares of, of, of companies. Um, how did that sort of play out as well in terms of that prediction? Yeah, Robert? so that came out, I'd say, better than perhaps we were expecting um, because global growth surprised. So I think it's fair to say that the corporate earnings seasons quarter by quarter as we went through the year did surprise on the upside um, and the consensus moved along with it as well. Um, so, yeah, that that so it played out. All right, we'll pick up uh, in, in a few minutes. So Sorry, Isabel, you wanted to say something say at that point. A key sort of difference with earnings growth as it relates to nominal growth. Absolutely. That 2.6 we spoke about, that's a real GDP number, which takes out the effect of inflation. Companies are operating in the economy where we have inflation. So obviously, with inflation coming down, that's been a bit of a headwind to nominal growth, which makes um, those stronger earnings that Robert mentioned sort of, I suppose, all the more impressive, um, but potentially it could be a bit trickier in the year ahead. Okay. Um, all right. So the first one, global growth lower in 2023. I'm going to give that a tick. I think you um, you predicted that pretty well. The second thing, 
uh, was inflation. You both said that inflation would fall dramatically last year. It did. It did indeed, yes, absolutely. Partly, um, I think we can put that at the door of central bankers and the fact that we had monetary tightening. But to a very large extent, this was a function of the fact that what goes up must come down. And we'd had some very large increases uh, over 2021 and 2022. And it's harder to make a, a an already large number bigger in that respect. So what what we're expecting is for inflation to carry on falling this year, um, back to much more normal levels. So sort of, you know, below two and a half percent in most of those key developed economies. OK, I don't think this. Do you have anything to add there, Robert? No, I mean, no. that seems pretty. No, that's, that's a surefire slam yeah. dunk. Um, it, it absolutely happened. And again, we'll come back to the, the implications for later this year. Um, this one for you, Robert. Uh, which is slightly sketchier, I would say. Um, China reopening would boost growth, especially in Asia. Um, did yeah. it happen? So we were only partially right. In fact, I'd say more wrong than right. Agreed. Both Both <laughs> Isabel and I thought that there was, correctly, there was going to be a big rebound. I mean, if you remember back in, it would have been December 22, there was the shock um, reduction in all the sanctions about keeping people in because of COVID. And we correctly surmised there was going to be a huge flood into both service and then that would get the feed through into manufacturing. And that happened and it did boost growth. And then what we missed um, was the property um, bubble mm -hmm. and debt and problems that the likes of Evergrande fell into in China. And then that started weighing on the real economy because the levels of debt have been underestimated. And so China sort of ran into the sand and then mid-year into the third quarter started pump priming to relieve this. But the China story wasn't as strong. And but there was a, a lot of, and as, it was stimulus though, there wasn't was, there? there was I mean, stimulus, and a lot of money, but perhaps not yeah, in the in yeah. the areas and, we expected and as timely as we expected. And not enough. Yeah. 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 And it also has a ripple effect throughout throughout the rest of Southeast Asia as well. And and that now is quite a big component of overall world GDP. So I'm afraid that one partially, but only partially correct. Okay, well, I mean, who knows where that one's going. such an important story for this year, too. Um, you rightly didn't declare that there'd be a, a, a nailed-on recession in the US last year. But for the UK, you, I think you were both more certain that we would have one here uh, in the UK. Um, what happened? I think, well, certainly growth has been better than expected in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty close to zero <laughs> so it's not great but we've had a lot more resilience uh, I think that's due to two things first of all the labor market has been pretty resilient um, the second one relates to housing so if you recall as rates were rising the Bank of England were very focused on trying to understand how quickly that was going to pass through to rates yeah and especially at the beginning we had a really big gap between where the average effective mortgage rate of an outstanding mortgage was and what the new rates were that people would be moving on to. So it, there was a potential for that to weigh very sort of heavily on the housing market, on confidence, on disposable income, and therefore on the economy. Because it's taken a while for that to feed through, the impact of that has been noticeable but it hasn't weighed on things as much as it 
potentially could have is it's difficult to kind of forecast exactly um, how much of an impact things like that are going to be because it's gradual. But that has not been as pronounced. So overall, thankfully, we have seen slightly stronger good growth, albeit not stellar in the UK. Yeah, something like 930,000 job openings, I think, at the moment in the UK. So unemployment's still low, isn't it? Um, so uh, just in just in a, in a word, um, this year, recession in the UK, yes or no? I think we're over the in worst of it. <laughs> in a word, no. <laughs> Come on, Isabel. <laughs> no, okay. So we're going to say, look, partially uh, uh, incorrect there, but 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 only just. And the final one, just to sort of... Tidy up uh, what you said this time a year ago was that markets will trough and may well rally hard after the bad news. And Robert, yeah. I think that that was your kind of feeling yeah. about, you know, everything you were trying to synthesize at that time. Yeah. And I think that's, broad, you know, broadly right. I mean, obviously, it depends on the regional indices as well. But I think we got the um, sort of equities over bonds part right telling and allied with the growth. And that is broadly what happened. We're going to come on to the surprise in a moment because that's connected to this question. In fact, shall I carry I'll on? I'll go on then, Robert. The, you you uh, seem excited what, about what it. Was the, what was the biggest surprise of 2023? And that was definitely um, what happened in the fourth quarter. So right at yeah, the end sure. of the year, into December, when the Fed seemingly out of nowhere came out and said, well, actually, you know, we think we're near the interest rate peak, etc. Just at the point when prior to that, they'd been actually saying the opposite and that led to a very big um, Santa rally as we call them into December for equities as they priced in interest rate early interest rate cuts in 2024 that was definitely for me um, the biggest surprise yeah. was that your surprise Isabel of the year um I suppose yeah the sort of moment of capitulation I suppose for me maybe the surprise was we'd we got a really pronounced movement off, off the back of that. So if you look at how market expectations for what interest rates are going to do in, in the coming year, how those shifted within a really short amount of time over December and how much the equity market rallied off the back of that, yeah. that was really pronounced. That's come back a little bit, but it was a really dramatic move. Okay, that's good. Hold that thought. Um, we're going to get to that point. So listen, five points there, it was okay. Um, I don't know how you want to score it, whether we should score it, but 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 three of the five for sure. So 60% or so. I don't know if that's a B++ <laughs> in old money or an A- minus these days, but, 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 but pretty good. I guess most importantly, though, is that um, those uh, nuances played out in very different ways, in different mandates for different clients. So there's lots of detail there beneath the headlines. But broadly speaking, it's good just to go back and, and have a look. Absolutely. So thanks for being a good sport there. Um, let's sort of weave some of this into 2024. Um, we're only a few weeks in. It seems like, as you've already alluded to, there's been a slight shift in sentiment. And often it's said that, that prices go where where sentiment already is. Um, I'll give you a few kind of examples and you can sort of try and unpick some of it for me. Uh, for example, the Magnificent Seven, which we spoke about at length at different times last year. Two of those stocks now, Apple and Tesla, are trading at six month relative lows versus the broader S&P 500. Perhaps the market's looking for more breadth. Healthcare, Robert, traditionally defensive sector, um, now has seems to have sort of broken out and is doing really well. What was going on? Yeah, so I think Firstly, on the Apple and Tesla, I think there was inevitably going to be a point where there was going to be profit-taking in the Magnificent Seven, and I think that will probably 
actually occur to the other five, if you like, of the seven at some point. And then there's an interesting argument about whether they then become buyers at that point or ads um, if you already hold it. In terms of healthcare traditional defensive sector, you're right. And there's obviously some sector rotation going as people are saying the market's run too fast, too mm. far ahead of itself, over the edge of its skis, given how cold it is outside. <laughs> um, factoring in those interest rate cuts already. And so there's some people looking ahead and going into a defensive sector. And then there's some just sector specific or company specific issues as well playing out. But we are only three weeks in or less than that to the new years. We are, although it's, it's interesting. You get that sort of psychological moment when one year ends and another yes. begins, but everything, That's obviously fair. the current just keeps running through That's it. Fair. I mean, um, Isabel, do you, is that your read as well? Do you think the market's just trying to digest what you've already said, that the Fed said in, in December, the moment of capitulation, and what all of that now means for asset prices? I think the danger is that it's already been digested, right? So where we are now there is scope for disappointment in terms of what comes down the track in terms of monetary policy. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, in December, we have the Fed sort of pointing to maybe two 25 basis point mm -hmm. rate cuts this year. The market is expecting six. So as, as time goes on, the window of opportunity to deliver those six cuts will get narrower and you know, that those those expectations will get reevaluated. So there's a risk that begins to put pressure both on the equity side and also on bonds themselves, obviously. We saw that a little bit in the sort of first week of the year. I think that's going to be a key theme as, as the year progresses. Robert, I think that's a really good point. I mean, can we really expect that many cuts? I mean, we don't usually see, you know, that magnitude or potentially that many cuts outside of a recession. And we, we don't have one in the US. No, but if you have inflation falling faster than we'd all forecast even three, five months ago, and there is worry that the belated interest effect of the interest rate increases of the past feed through and the economy perhaps starts weakening, then I think you will get those cuts. I think, um, you know, the central banks still have the 2% target and they will pull down quite quickly and then you get potentially the Goldilocks scenario of no real hard recession and interest rate cuts. I'm sure we'll come on to that, but that really is a Goldilocks scenario if it unfolds. I think the thing I would say there is the default is that we do get, we do avoid recession and uh, that's kind of, you know, the Fed scenario and they're pricing in two cuts. If anything, actually, in December, we saw some slightly stronger consumer data. So actually, if anything, I think we also need to keep mm -hmm. an eye on how that consumer data evolves. Yeah, and that that's crucial in that it could change the timing, couldn't it? So there's lots of talk in whether the, the first cut would happen in Q1 or, or Q2. Uh, and we don't often come down in, you know, these massive jumps, do we? I mean, it can be it's usually incremental on the downside, whereas in March 2020, for example, the Fed added one and a half percentage points in that month alone. So the timing and the magnitude are, are both going to interplay and be, you know, really interesting here. I think that's key. Um, and this kind of relates to this point that Robert made about, you know, what happens with the economy. Is it, does growth kind of carry on being a bit soft, but okay, or do you have a more sort of recessionary environment? If you do, um, if the Fed do see a risk of recession, then you could see bigger jumps down 
that's you know certainly possible sure um but i think especially if that's not happened until the midpoint of the year then you would need to see more of a deterioration to see bigger increments anything to add there robert well it's an it is an election year remember as well in the yeah. us and in the uk election years statistically tend to be quite positive for equity markets people are going to fed the <laughs> central bank's going to be very bank mm. going to be very wary it, it takes on a different tone really this year so yeah let's let's wait and see it really does and i know that they're independent um but part of me just wonders whether the fed just wants to do all it can for the economy uh, in the current year but that's that's a rhetorical question um and that's just my my musings. Um, a potential wild card or not, be really interested in your view, is what's going on at the moment uh, in the Middle East mm. uh, and whether this diversion and rerouting of container ships via the, uh, the Cape of Good Hope around Africa, you know, is going to be inflationary in some way, either via the supply chain or via the, the energy markets. What do you think? So I'm going to start off on this one because... Oh, you were, you, I, I saw I, that I you were gesticulating. You seem very keen to answer. Yeah, well, answer just the in question. the, you know, in the, my analytical past, I've just seen so many of these um, supply shocks and geopolitical effects as well. And that, by the way, also, I think, um, plays into the earlier question about healthcare doing well. There's mm -hmm. an automatic geopolitics. It's going to spread. It's going to be worse. What are the safe havens? Mm -hmm which um, healthcare be one, but I actually, unless it really broadens massively and we're looking at oil price spikes to $200 a barrel, I really don't think it's going to be huge inflationary simply because it's quite a small percentage of end good costs. Yeah. And it would have to go on for a long, long time for that to really start having a, a, a sort of cumulative negative effects so in the past yeah there's been a worry and talk about it but on the whole after the issues get resolved however militarily or politically um we look back at it you'll find that other than shipping rates and inconvenience um it hasn't had a structurally negative effect on inflation and that's despite this kind of potential shift from a just in time to a just in case kind of um um, manner of thinking in that we might be hoarding uh, components, goods, capital, I don't know, warehousing more stuff. It's not an efficient use of, of capital. Is that going to be negligible as well, Isabel? Well, I think that's a change to an extent that we've already seen. For people who might not be quite so all over this as Robert, let's do just a very quick recap of what we're talking about. So since November, we've had Houthi rebels attacking vessels in the Red Sea, and that connects... Um, the Suez Canal, um, you know, that, that's the route downward. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen in the Baltic dry prices that rise ever since then. And it's only really, I, I would say in January, that it's actually really caught people's attention because the US have become a bit more involved. And I think that's why there's this spillover risk that, you know, Robert alluded to. Does it matter for inflation? We've had blockages of this passage before, if you recall, the, when the Suez Canal became blocked. And yep. we, we sort of certainly felt the impact that that had on prices. Mm. I think the key difference here is we're not in a period of strong goods demand. We're in a period of very weak goods demand. Yeah. Now, certainly this has caused a lot of disruption. In December, Red Sea uh, sort of transit volumes were down by over 50% on the prior month. 
But um, overall, I, um, you know, it, this is causing these diversions, but overall demand is certainly much softer. In terms of prices, as Robert said, it could pass through somewhat, but against that softer dynamic, unless um, we, you know, see Iran drawn in a much more significant way or attacks on Iran that disrupt their ability to produce and export oil, um, then I think given that we're already at slightly elevated uh, shipping costs, partly for those reasons that you mentioned, Tony, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's not likely to divert us from that inflationary dynamic that we spoke about earlier with inflation continuing to cool this year. Yeah, that's good news. And I seem to recall a few years ago, oil was so cheap that it was cheaper actually to, to route via uh, Southern Africa in any case, rather than going and paying the fee mm. for going through the canal. So clearly an issue for Egypt um, there. All right, let's just change gears uh, for the, the final sort of, I don't know, five or so minutes, see how long we've got, and just think about um, companies and markets first, Robert. Um, in terms of consensus this year, I think economists are kind of looking at, uh, I don't know, 11%. EPS growth this year for the S&P 500, skewed a bit by the Magnificent Seven. Uh, do you think that that's uh, realistic? Yeah, I do. But there is a skew by the Magnificent Seven that are now um, you know, a considerable percentage, I think it's about a third, if not more, of the whole index. So the underlying is probably nearer around sort of 7%. And I think that is very realistic, um, even with nominal inflation coming back. I think, you know, I think both of us think is well nigh that the inflation dragon is dead now. It's just a question of what happens um, in the sort of aftermath. So, yeah, no, I do think that that's a reasonable estimate. Um, the more interesting question is really about which sectors yeah. at this point in the cycle you should be in. Really, yeah. And what's your answer to that? So uh, that's trickier. Um, traditionally, when the interest rate cycle... So the other... Sorry, the big, big point about 2024 is that we're in a point when the interest rate cycle changes. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the big thing. So what traditionally happens when that is that the cyclical stocks rally. So these are things highly geared to the economy that may be doing very, very badly at slowdowns, such as building material companies, construction and contracting companies. Um, but this time, of course, it's different. So they haven't had such a terrible time for all the reasons Isabel's been talking about in terms of the consumer as in the past. So it's going to be selective cyclicals mm. that rally. And you'll hear this from our fund managers as well. So that becomes a harder challenge mm. in looking at what's happening. And that will also happen regardless of what you and I just discussed about that 7% mm -hmm. sort of reasonably lackluster earnings growth because it's the rating that moves up very quickly before the earnings pick up from the companies. All this happens well in advance. I mean, the, the, the valuations might, you could say, are, are a little bit stretched. I think the S&P is already on 20 times. I mean, I guess the question is, where's the juice? Is it just going to be kind of multiple expansion, really, rather than coming through the bottom line? I think there's certainly an um, expert. Well, logically, you would expect to see some multiple expansion in a time where you're seeing falling rates. I suppose the kind of caution is, well, we've already seen quite a lot of that. So as Robert was saying, I think it's going to be really important to find those businesses where you are seeing a driver for positive earnings growth as well. Okay. And just on asset, asset allocation, Robert, just um, a couple of things that you're from a highest level, you're, you're you're thinking about. We had this question about cash last year, which seems more of a trap now than than ever. 
um, and, and bonds, et cetera, being attractive. Does that still hold true? Yes. On your cash point, of course, um, that was really highlighted being, Wasn't it? by yeah. the rally in the, in the, mm. the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. which would have caught a lot of people who were invested yeah. in the cash at the 5 6% rates out, I mean, if you, how strong that was. Um, you've got to bear in mind that we are positioned at the moment um, neutral across asset classes for all the balance of reasons you know, you've just heard about. But our next sort of vote and discussion is due in literally the next few days. So we will be, I'm, I'm saying in advance of that. But yeah, the outlook so at the moment is we still think cash isn't not traps the wrong word but the wrong you need to be in the market mm. uh, equities i think of we're warming more to equities as a easier picture to paint there geopolitical mm-hmm. risks aside um the return of 60 40 as 2022 has is going to be shown as the aberrant year and okay last year you know equities did very well bonds less so it didn't reverse mm-hmm. but I think the 60-40 is still in play. Um, with interest rates coming down, yeah, I think our fixed income team think there are certain pockets of value there still sort of reasonably okay about fixed income. But let's see um, what the next vote brings. Would you say that policy risk is the, or expectations and the gap between policy and expectations is your biggest risk for 2024, Isabel? I think it's certainly a big risk and it's certainly very apparent in the pricing. Another risk that we touched on earlier was China. So the big disappointment was that we didn't get more out of China last year. Now, I think this year people aren't really expecting as much. But um, I think the problem is without a bit more juice in terms of policy support, ideally targeting the consumer in China, there is a risk that this kind of debt deflation problem gets worse. So I think we need to keep a really close eye on how that evolves. Another risk to highlight, it's hard to sort of uh, get your hands around it in any kind of clear policy way, but obviously we have a US election this year Mm -hmm. and that could be quite um, inflammatory in terms, I'm thinking particularly of Europe and relations with Ukraine and, you know, how the war with Russia evolves. Want to add anything, Robert? No, no, I, I completely agree with the, all of those points. I think the only thing I'd add is that I don't think the UK election is going to matter much for yeah. markets um, from an economic, um, not a political point of view, but just from an economic point of view. Um, the, the die is cast in terms of UK economics for mm. quite some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two centrist parties, I guess, that you could call them with Labour well ahead in the polls. Uh, Isabel, your... I, I think, well, what could be interesting there is... So, you know, today Labour predicted to have a stonking majority, but because they're so far behind, they will have to win a lot of seats. And what what could potentially happen is then you're in a sort of Theresa May style position mm. where you need all of your MPs to support your policies. And then you, you can sort of become beholden to some more sort of fringe groups. So we could see a quite difficult mandate for Labour potentially but um, you know we don't even know when the election will be at this point. (laughs) Okay well there's certainly going to be some some fun and games let's just try and summarise all of that very briefly then before we get to the fabled numbers um, at the end I mean this these are my words paraphrasing what you've both just said but things are clearly a lot better than a year ago and and maybe we just need to temper our exuberance on rates but that 60-40 is working We, we seem to just see some of the fog lifting now. Is that fair? No, I think that's very fair, yeah. 
Isabel? Yes. Um, I think, you know, from a personal perspective as well, as, as UK consumers, I think this year should feel a bit easier, um, you know, given that we won't be quite so oppressed by if, if energy prices behave themselves um, by, you know, energy costs and also um, the sort of broader inflation environment. Yeah, agreed. Okay. That's great to hear. Okay, so let's um, wrap up then. And we've got just enough time for us each to pose a number to each other, as we always do here, to try and guess what we're doing. Um, I'll go first, if I may. And my number is approximately three billion. Robert, you're a much better at guessing than me. <laughs> so the, we have to find the answer to you have to, the you, question. You, the, you have to, exactly. Is, Why is three billion important this year? Three billion. I felt sure you would get this. <laughs> and I, I feel very let down. In fact, I came into this room <laughs> thinking this is too oh, right. easy. I'm not sure. Okay. Not, yeah, okay. I actually can't <laughs> even hazard okay. the of that one. That, that's an estimate of the number of people who will cast a vote uh, in an election ah, this year, between three number. and four billion people. We've had Good Taiwan number. already. We've just mentioned the UK, the US. We've got Mexico, Pakistan, India, among others. I mention it because at the moment on in, in Davos, the World Economic Forum has convened with the great and the good from the world up in the Swiss Alps. And their risk report for 2024 suggests that misinformation mm. and disinformation because of the ability of generative AI to produce deep fakes will pose a massive threat to those elections in okay. the current year. Right, well, I'll try and find an equally difficult number for the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have one. What about you, Isabel? No, I I'm sorry. I didn't know what I spent time okay, for. Okay, <laughs> no problem at all. So I've caught you both out. So next time, please come armed. But otherwise, a real pleasure speaking to you as always. I feel cheerier. I feel warmer. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So thanks for your time. And we'll catch up again uh, very soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.